Thank you, church. Love you all. Love you all so much. Good morning. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. The title of the sermon is, is Undivided Devotion. This morning I want to focus on the topic of singleness. Jason gave me the idea to teach on this, and I jumped, jumped in and wanted to do that. And I soon discovered the irony that it comes just about a week before Valentine's Day, and the day after, which is Singles Awareness Day, which is if you're doing the, the math there, S-A-D. Now, as I've been thinking, I've been thinking about this, yeah, some of you just picked up on that. Singles Awareness Day, S-A-D, sad. Um, now, yeah, I, don't, I did not create that. Somebody else came, and I think they just recently changed it to National Awareness Day or whatever, something, some other abbreviation. But I've been thinking about this topic for a few months now. Uh, I taught on it in a discipleship class and I'm struck by how often this season can be one that truly really is viewed as SAD, as, as sad, as an area that we should try to avoid, and an area that we can be tempted to view as second rate or second best. Uh, one well-known pastor put it this way. He said, singleness is to be, be viewed as trial and suffering, and that if you're a man who's 23 and you're not married yet, there's something wrong with you. Uh, another well-known pastor said that mar- singleness is an assault against marriage. It is a disaster in our society right now. Um, and so I, I read some of that. I thought about that. And I thought, is that right? Is that how should we, we should be viewing singleness? Um, so I want to take us to 1 Corinthians 7. because I think it's the clearest section of Scripture that speaks into singleness. It is a complex chapter, and I just recommend that you all go and study. It speaks on issues of divorce and remarriage, of singleness. Um, and we want to keep our Bibles open. I'm going to center in on some verses, but pick up on different verses in the chapter. And just because we're dropping into the middle of a, a letter and a book that he wrote to a specific church, I want to give us an idea of what he was writing about. Uh, Paul is responding at this point in the letter to actually a letter that the Corinthians had written him. You see that in verse 1. They had written him a letter and they had asked him questions and they said, hey, Paul, we, we were confused about this area. So he's responding and speaking into their confusion and their false understanding on areas like sex, on areas like divorce and marriage and singleness. The Corinthian church, just to give you that background, is a church embedded in a Greco-Roman culture. And in that culture, Pretty low view of marriage, even though Roman law punished singles if they did not get married. But within the confines of marriage, you would have people sleeping around and going all over the place, not really honoring marriage as they should. So this is a a church that Paul is writing to that's embedded in a worldly culture and confused about how to walk out their faith. And so in this chapter, we read Paul the pastor speaking out of a concern for this specific church in their setting. And so let's lean in. I want to read verses 25 to 35. This is a word for the Corinthian church, and this is a word for us this morning as well. Verse 25, and this is the word of the Lord. Now concerning the betrothed, or your translation may say virgins, I have no command from the Lord, But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. 
But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short, so from now on let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away." I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. We thank you for this word, and we ask now that you would bless the preaching of it and that you would open our hearts to receive it and to respond to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, this is a letter written to the Corinthian church into their setting, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I don't have the time to dig into too much of the cultural background. I recommend that to you if you want to dig up this chapter and read into that this week. That'd be a good study. But our goal this morning is to place ourselves under Scripture, what we have read, place ourselves under Scripture, and take away specific principles on how to view the area and the season of singleness. I trust that this will be an encouragement and applicable to all of us in some fashion, but specifically, I want to address singles, all right? And here's, here's church, why this is important. Before you, before you tune out, because you just heard me say I'm addressing this to singles, and I'm married, and huh, um, there are a variety of singles in this church in different seasons of life. And God, singles, God speaks into your season. Scripture speaks to you. It envisions you whether you are a young child or whether you're a teenager or whether you're a young adult or whether you've been singled for many years and never married or whether you're divorced or whether you are widowed. And it calls you, singles, to play a key part in his kingdom. And so this is our main idea for this morning, that we want our banner for us as we walk through this text singleness is a unique opportunity to live in undivided devotion to. Christ. Singleness is a unique opportunity to live in undivided devotion to Christ. Church, this, this is the biblical vision for, for all of us, for the church. This is a letter written to the church. And so if you're married, there, there are singles right now, I trust, there are singles in a pew, in the same pew that you're in or around you right now that you're called to care for. And there are many of us, even those of us who are married, who will one day be single again. And Many of us are parents of children, of young adults, of singles, and we want to be led by God's word on how to disciple them. So God would have us as a church to collectively lean in to see singleness, to catch this vision of how singleness is a wonderful opportunity, and consider how we might love and how we might serve and how we might spur on the singles in our midst. All right? So with that, all that in mind, I want to walk through four components of this vision from this text. 
four aspects of what a biblical vision of singleness should look like. That it's a calling, that it's a gift, that it has advantages, that it has a purpose. So we're going to do that this morning and finish with some applications, some takeaways. So point number one, singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And I want to set the table a bit and go back to the beginning of what Paul said in this chapter. He begins the chapter, verse 1, by addressing the Corinthians letter, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And immediately, what does he talk about immediately? What did the Corinthians write to him about? He starts talking and, and talking against celibacy within the confines of marriage, right? That's where the first thing he addresses. But then he switches gears here in verse 7, and he says this. Let's look at verse 7 together. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, that each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So he's talking about marriage, and then he pauses here and he says, I wish you were all like me. I wish you were all single. I wish you were all celibate. Now I think he's using a little bit of hyperbole here. Because I don't think he wishes everybody truly were like him, because if everybody was single, there would be nobody in the future, so that would be a problem. But I think what his definition here is that a single is somebody who's unmarried and celibate. So when you hear me say that word, unmarried, celibate, you might even be in a dating relationship, you're still single right now because you're unmarried and celibate. But Paul's clear here that everyone has a gift in this regard. So we want to think, okay, what, what, Paul, is that gift? And I told you this is complex. Commentators disagree here exactly what Paul is saying the gift is. Is it a gift just of celibacy that he is able to put off these desires and longings that he has? I think to some degree, yeah, I think that's what he's saying. Or does he have like a special superpower that enables him as a single to survive as a single in ways that other singles can't his whole life? Some would put it that way. I'm not sure that's exactly what he's saying. He's not really clear, but but I hear Paul is simply stating how being single is a gift. Look what he says right after. He says, verse 7, each has his own gift from God. And then he soon after starts talking about marriage. So I think he's saying, if you're married, you've got a gift of marriage. If you're single, you've got a gift of singleness. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 19. He, he talked about divorce and remarriage, and the disciples said, what? If that's, the, if that's what divorce looks like, I think it's better not to be married at all. And Jesus says, well, it's good to be single for those to whom it has been given for the sake of the kingdom. So foundationally, church, I think being a single means God has given singles an opportunity for the kingdom. It's a gift. Now, if you're single this morning... You just heard me that it's, it's a gift to be single and not to have a spouse or not to have someone else to call your own. And it can be hard to hear those, that kind of term. Man, it's a gift to be a single right now. Uh, it's like Christmas morning, right? Like you are all excited. You've asked everybody, man, I want a new doll set or a new football or a new video game. or I just can't wait to get a new car for Christmas this year. And you don't get any of that, but finally grandma's giving you a gift. And you're like, ah, oh, maybe there's keys in that box of a car or something. And it's a pair of dress socks. <laughs> and you're like, aha, what is this? A dress socks, grandma, come on. Or how many of us have received a gift before that was so bad from somebody that we had to make a decision 
We're going to store that thing in the basement and tuck it away and only bring it out when that person comes to visit and just have it on display somewhere and then put it away again? Or should we decide to go drive an hour away and drop this thing off at a thrift store in hopes that this person never sees it again and go tuck it away somewhere? Or do we just keep it? You see, we can all get gifts that we can think of. Man, this is a burdensome gift. There's this big piece of art and I've got to do something with it now. What am I supposed to do with this thing? Burdensome or worthless or not valuable. And it can be tempting to, be, to see the season of singleness as burdensome and worthless and full of unmet desires and disappointment. But here's what I, what I want. I think God wants us to see. That singleness is a gift and it's a gift from God. And he gives, church, he gives good gifts. He doesn't give serpents. He doesn't give stones to his children. And church, what does God give gifts for? God, God freely gives gifts to his people that they might serve him, and, and then they might build up what? They might build up the church. That's why God gives good gifts. And that's why we have any gift, church, any gift we have. And so here's the encouragement. With this gift of singleness comes the Spirit-empowered freedom to joyfully serve the King and His people without constant, not zero, but without constant distracting desires for marriage and intimacy and family. Singleness is an opportunity to be stewarded for the kingdom. And so we want to think about what does it look like to steward singleness? What does it look like to use this gift, to work it out, to express it? I think first of all, it looks like, like thankfulness, like gratitude. That if you're a single When's the last time you said, God, thank you that I'm a single right now? This is where you have me. If you're married, thank you, God, that you led me into marriage, that you blessed me with a spouse. The first step is thankfulness. I think it's from a heart of thankfulness as a single. Even as, listen, even as you may pray, man, I want to be married someday. Man, I just want to be in a relationship right now. I got these longings. I see everybody else, they seem to be happy in marriage. I want that too. Even as you pray that and express those desires to God, you submit yourself to Him. You ask Him to change your perspective. And it's a God-centered, it's a submissive heart that God, it's through the prayer like that, through gratitude, through thankfulness, that God daily provides contentment and He provides the ability to freely walk out this season in devotion to Him and in service to others, without undue, not without zero, but without undue distraction and frustration. And so if you're single this morning and, and you want to be married, I don't think the response for you or for us as a church when we talk to you is to say, I just don't think you have the gift of singleness. I think this is going to be a long, it's going to be hard for you, it's going to be lonely for you, there's going to be a lot of disappointment and despair. So my advice to you is get out of this as quickly as possible, get into a relationship, try to get married, maybe you have that gift. I'm not sure that's quite it. God has graciously given you a gift, an opportunity, that you might learn to rest in His goodness and His providence, that you might use this opportunity for for however long it might last, whether it's a couple months or several years or a lifetime, to serve Him freely in a way that you just might not be able to do in a different season of your life. That, this all leads directly to a second related point. If, if God gives us a gift of, of singleness, he's called us to do something with it. So point number two, singleness is a calling. So we stop reading at verse 7. Paul then moves on and he starts talking about specifically divorce and remarriage. He visits that topic. 
And then he returns here in verse 17 to address, I think in many ways, generally, all of us. And he says this in verse 17. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul is talking to Corinthian believers who were just saved and they're starting to wonder, man, I was just saved. Does that mean I got to change my job? Does that mean I got to get divorced? Does that mean I got to do something else now? Does that mean I need to change my social status? And Paul says, in, in the situation that you were in when the Lord called you, you can stay in that situation. If you were single, if you were married, if you were blue collar, if you were white collar, if you were rich, or if you're poor, it doesn't matter. God doesn't see you any different. Your relationship to God doesn't change based off of your situation. You are who you are in Christ now. That's what's most important. And so Paul says your situation right now, it's been assigned by God, so walk that out. I think it gives this picture of a general who's got a bunch of troops who gives them an assignment and he sends them out to a specific geographical location with a specific mission. And what do the troops do? They go. They go and they faithfully serve until general says, time to go somewhere else. Time to move on. And so I think that's the picture God gives here. Now, I don't think, I don't think, here's what I don't think the passage is saying, that it, it's, it's wrong to ever change our situation. You can read it that way, right? It's wrong to change your situation. It's wrong to get married. It's wrong to get a different job. It's wrong to get moved. Certainly, if, you, if you're living in sin, read, read less of what, the rest of what Paul says. You've got to change something. You've got to repent. There are times where we must change. But I think what he's saying right here in this chapter is that a Christian can find contentment wherever he finds himself. And it's not through changed circumstances. It's, it's not through like a postmodern or you, you see this in Disney. You've got to change yourself or you've got to change your surrounding, or the people around you, or your circumstances, and you've got to perpetually pr- pursue self-fulfillment, that's not where contentment comes from. God wants to encourage all of us this morning that whatever situation you find yourself in, that it's a result of His sovereign and gracious care and direction. That's where He has you, and to be faithful in it. And especially singles, I would say your circumstance doesn't define you. Your circumstance is a calling from God. Your identity is in who he says you are. That's the gospel reality. It's that you are his child. And I love that we don't have to go too far in this chapter to find the gospel. Look at chapter 6, verse 20, just a few verses ago. You were bought with a price by by Christ's sacrifice. Christ gave his life for you, and he now claims you as his own. And you are called to make much of Christ wherever we are. Wherever you are. And so now here we see in verse 17, the language literally says, walk this way. Walk, at, walk in the way that God has assigned. Walk in such a way that the gospel reality that's true of you, that's the new compass for how you live. That's your new direction. It's not social status. It's not what everybody else says. It's, it's the gospel and your identity in Christ. You have an assignment and a calling. And I don't mean... I don't mean that a special calling that only a few singles have, but a calling, if you're a single, that is an assignment from the Lord for His purposes. It means you don't need a spouse. It means you don't need children to complete yourself. You ever hear that? Like you need somebody else to complete yourself. I think that's just, that's, that's hogwash. That's, that's, that's worthless to say like you need somebody else in your life to complete yourself and to be fully content. Yeah, you need somebody else. You need Jesus Christ in your life. That's what you need to be fully content, not another person. The Lord may give you another person, but that's not where fulfillment and contentment lies. 
God has chosen the season that you're in to sanctify you, so walk it out in faith. And, and listen, it's a path. If you look at what Paul says in verse 24, very similar to what he says in verse 17, he says it's a path that we walk out with God or before God. That means, I love that he includes that. It's even when our path is difficult to endure, we can place ourselves under God's fatherly care as we responsibly seek to serve him, to be responsible to walk that path out as we cast our cares on him, as we receive strength from him and knowing that we're not alone on the path. And how can I say that? I'm a married man. I don't remember what it's like to be single. I'm not currently facing your hardships You've got difficulties. I don't know all your experiences. I can't grasp it all right now, what you are dealing with as a single. But you know who can? Jesus Christ, who who walked a whole life of singleness, and it says in Hebrews how he he knows what you are tempted by, and so he's on this path with you. I think that's what it means to walk a path with God is to say, yeah, God, you got me on this path. I got to follow you. I know you're with me though. And I know you're not just standing there, but you are comforting me when I feel forsaken. You're my firm foundation. You're with me every step of the way. The path that Jesus walked, the same path that Paul walked, and listen, it's it's not a lesser than, it's not an inferior path. It's like everyone else is on a great path if they're married, but if I'm single, it's like I'm on a grungy, worth worthless path that I don't want to be on. i got to get on that path. No, it's, it's not an inferior path. It's a beautiful path lived before the face of God. And so we're going to spend some time, we're going to spend some time here in the next few months as a church, I'm excited for this, walking through our statement of faith. And I love what they included in there. They have a section called, um, that speaks to marriage and sexuality and singleness. And here's what it says, right after talking about the glories of marriage and, and just expounding on that, I love that they included this. They say, it, our statement of faith, what we believe, it says this, single men and women, they're no less able to enjoy and honor God and no less important to his purposes. They also are to give expression to God's image in distinct and complementary ways, flourishing as his image bearers and bringing him glory in their singleness. Amen, that's what we believe. Church, I love, I love that God gives us passages like these to shape our view of a topic like singleness, specifically for how we as a church view the singles around us. Because I, can, I think it can be tempting to build a culture where singleness is seen as something inferior or something that's wrong, and we start looking at the singles and saying, man, I think it's time for you to get married. Whether we say it or not, we believe it, or we might say it sometimes, I, Man, you're getting up there in years. Have you been pursuing anybody recently? Or we, we, we start thinking, like, who can we match up with so-and-so and so-and-so? Good things, fun things, but we can get, be consumed with that aspect. And I think, okay, I think there are some singles that need to hear a message like uh, the book Kevin DeYoung wrote, which was Just Do Something, and they need to hear from us, hey, it's time to get off the couch. It's time to start thinking about pursuing a spouse. It's time to get moving, and we can encourage them in that. I think some of us, some singles need to hear that. It's time to go take a risk. It's time to go out and do something. That's where the Lord's calling you. But here's what what God wants us as a church to see and believe in this context, that that singles are not second-class members. 
singles, they're not abnormal, they're not inferior, they're not inferior parts of this body, that they're walking out the calling God has on their life in this season, whether that's for a few years or for a lifetime. Now, okay, so if singleness is these things, it's a gift, it's a calling, then what is unique about it? I want to keep walking through 1 Corinthians 7, cast this vision that the Bible gives us, and see what Paul directs now. So let's look, look at verses 25 to 35, what we read earlier. Paul said back in verse 8, we read this, that it's good for the unmarried to remain single as he is. And now in verse 25 to 35, he expands that view. And he speaks specifically to the betrothed, or those who are either virgins or engaged to be married. And he, and he speaks to a situation, should they pursue marriage? If you're betrothed already, if you're about to get engaged, if you're engaged, about to get married, you got a wedding day, should you break it off? Should you pursue singleness? And, and here's what he says. He says, he doesn't have a strict command from the Lord, verse 25. It's not like he's going to come in here and say, all right, y'all, time, I want you all to be single, or I want you all to get married. He's, he doesn't come in and address it in a way that he could and as an apostle. He doesn't have a command from the Lord to say, this is the command for you, church. He comes in and speaks practically about that question we all wonder. Should I get married? Should I not get married? How do I think through this? And so, church, we know this, this is Scripture. It's authoritative. We place ourselves under it. But I think it's helpful to read verses like these in a letter like this and see that, that Paul, Paul is the pastor here, and he's shepherding a specific congregation in Corinth. And so he doesn't give a command. He gives his judgment and his wisdom based off of the situation that they find themselves in. And his essential argument is that in regards to staying single or getting married, we're free to do what we want because there's no command from the Lord if our focus is on serving the Lord. And so this is incredible. He's speaking into a culture where marriage is degraded, where Roman law says singles, you got to go get married. Single women have to get married, essentially, if they want to survive. And here Paul comes in and he affirms both the validity of singleness and marriage. He says, verse 28, neither is a sin. He says, verse 38, both are good. It's not like a, a right versus wrong. Both are good. And they're both used to display Christ. Paul sees both the wonder of marriage. He's the same one who wrote Ephesians 5. Marriage is a glorious picture of Christ and the church. But here in this letter, he specifically focuses on how singles can be used to advance the kingdom. So first in verse 26, he says, he says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. He says present distress, in the middle of the present distress. That's their situation. There's a lot of commentators who, who are trying to figure out, what does he mean? What, what distress is he talking about? It might be a, a lot, many agree that it might be a famine and the economic distress that comes when you have no food around you. It may be a disease that's hitting the community. But the fact is, the Corinthian church, I think, knew what he was talking about. We're here reading this going, I think, I'm not exactly sure. But it seems like Paul's saying, in that specific situation, whatever crisis you're finding yourself in, in this year that you're living, it'd be good to remain single. But hey, if you're already betrothed to somebody, if you've already committed yourself to another woman or a man, go ahead. You're free to get married. Don't feel like you've got to break it off. There's freedom there, though. But I just think he's being practical. You all, you're in the middle of a crisis. And so walking through a crisis as a single without the responsibilities of a spouse to care for and children to care for and all these other things, 
It's going to be a little bit easier for you. So I think that's what the wisdom that he speaks into. And beyond that, look at this, look at his concern in verse 32. He wants the church, whatever situation it is, they're in, he wants them to be free from distraction. Verse 32, serving the Lord. And he notes that no matter the situation, here's the reality. Marriage presents a lot of anxieties and a lot of different concerns and responsibilities toward a wife or toward children. And we, we all get this, right? Right? If you're a single, okay, my stomach's maybe starting to growl here a little bit. If you're single and your stomach is growling and you're saying, all right, after this church in about half an hour, after the service, I'm going to be, I'm gonna, I want to stop for lunch somewhere. So I'm going to go to Chipotle. I'm feeling Chipotle today. So I'm going to go to Chipotle and I'm going to make my way over there. And you don't have to tell anybody. You can just go do it. And you can order your big old burrito, spend as much money you want on yourself, and sit down and take a nice leisurely one-hour meal, whatever you want to do. And you should probably go, oh, that was great. I'm going to go home and take a nap now. Or I'm going to go home and read a good book. Or I'm going to go out and meet up with a friend. I'm going to go have a good, great conversation in a peaceful setting. I'm going to go do that. And that's what I feel. I'm going to go read 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to study. I'm going to apply the sermon. That's what I do with my Sunday afternoon in peace and quiet and rest. Okay, that's you as a single. And I know some of you have busy Sunday afternoons. I get that. I'm painting a picture there. But then you get me. You get me or anybody else who's married. And you know what I'm doing? My stomach's growling. Ah, man, I want to go grab some lunch. I'm going to stop at Chipotle on the way home. I'm driving separately from my wife, so I'm going to go stop there. I better tell her what I'm doing because she's expecting me home at a certain time. So there's that. And I better not come home without two burritos, because I better have a burrito for her as well. And guess what? If you've got children, if you've got kids, so I've got three boys, I better come home with five burritos. I better, okay, so I just, so a single, you got one burrito to buy. I just quintupled my expense there, because now I've got five burritos. And then I've got to come home, and I've got to sit there and serve that lunch. And then burritos are messy, so I've got to sit there, organize everybody, get them all ready, make sure the burritos are just the exact same size, and they like how it looks, and they don't, it's not too spicy, and all these different things. And I've got to sit there, and I've got to clean up the mess afterward, and then as a daddy, I've got to make the decision, should they get a dessert today? Was it good behavior? Yeah, I'll give them a dessert. Oh, man, I shouldn't have done that because I had to put them to bound for nap time here in a little bit. And they're going to be all jumping off the walls. Poor decision. I got to think that through. Now, finally, I get them down to sleep. And I look at my wife, who I've barely been able, even able to talk to. I'm like, it's 3.30. Where did this Sunday afternoon go? You're, my single friends, they're, they're napping. They got a good nap in, and they're reading a book. And I'm sitting here. And I just, okay, I'm discipling my kids. I'm getting things done through that. But you get, get the picture there, and anxieties and responsibilities and all these other concerns that are just the reality of being married. You, you see, marriage is a glorious thing. When you, when you bring two people together, and they can better serve the Lord with their marriage and have children who they can daily pour into, that is a glorious thing. But the reality here is that Paul is pointing out that just with marriage is going to come with extra concerns that, that can be a distraction to serving the Lord, not necessarily. But we, we all know this as married people, we can become consumed with the practical ins and outs of supporting a family and monitoring and caring for our spouse so much that we can begin to lose sight of the things of the Lord. And so Paul says, I, just, I want you to be free from that. I don't want your interests to be divided and so he's not saying, man, married people can't serve the Lord. I think he's saying far from that. If you're, he, he said it earlier. He said, if you're distracted by a desire to marry somebody, go get married and go serve the Lord in your marriage. That's what you should do. 
But there's a sense in which singles have a life that is less hindered and able to be fully devoted to the Lord. That's the advantage. So he says, if, man, if you're not burning with passion right now with a desire to go get married, it's okay to be single and serve the Lord. That is a good thing. He says that in verse 37. And so church, we, we as a church must have a clear view of the advantages of singleness. It's, it's, not as if, it's not as if singles are only useful in the church once they get engaged or dating or, or once they're married Singles with less distractions, content in their season, are a key part of God's plan in building his church and advancing his kingdom. Look at how the Lord used a life of Paul, a single man, had to build his kingdom and strengthen the church. And that brings us one, to one final point from the text before we, we, we think about some takeaways, that there is a purpose in singleness. Singleness has a purpose. Look how Paul concludes the passage we read Verse 35, he says, I say this, I say all this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, literally not to put a noose around your neck, like tell you what to do, but I say it to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What's Paul after? Undivided devotion to the Lord, single-minded service of Christ for for singles and for everybody else. That's what God's after for all of us, single-minded service to him. We see this also back in verse 29, perhaps the center point of the chapter, 29 to 31. Paul is after wholehearted devotion to Jesus in whatever situation we're in. Look what he says in verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. So from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. He's saying eternity has broken into a dying world. That because Christ came, because of the reality of his death and his resurrection, now the kingdom is here. We are citizens of a different kingdom still living in this world. So Paul says at this time, between the first coming and the second coming, in this time that we live in, we all must orient ourselves daily to eternity and not to the present situation, not to the dying world. We must have a new understanding of our relationship with the world. So, he, so Paul gives five categories of people. He says the, the married, those who are mourning, those who are rejoicing, those who have possessions, those who are dealing with culture. So like all of us can find ourselves in those categories. And he's not saying, if you're married, stop being married. Don't love your spouse. But what here, here, or stop dealing with culture. Go build yourself a bunker and never talk to people again. Go, go avoid culture. He's saying, remember what is ultimate in this life. It's not your marriage. It's not what you have. It is the eternal marriage that's in your future that God will enjoy with his people forever that was bought by Christ and is sealed by the Spirit. So live your life in a way that is not controlled, that's not hypnotized by the world's values to put everything every commitment every choice you make into perspective and then once you do that to receive the good gifts the gift of marriage and the things you have and and enjoy them and give glory to god in the midst of them i love what single author barry danilak says he writes a great book redeeming singleness and here's what he says he says like christian marriage christian singleness is a testimony to the supreme sufficiency of Christ for all things, testifying that through Christ, life is fully blessed even without marriage and children. 
It prophetically points to a reality greater than the satisfactions of this present age by consciously anticipating the Christian's eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's right. Joyful singleness, joyful marriage. You know what that points to? That points to a greater future reality when marriage and singleness will be transcended and Christ will be our joy forevermore. We are the bride of Christ and we will experience that forever. And so right now your testimony and our testimony and specifically the single's testimony is to the supreme sufficiency of Christ now and forevermore for all things. And so for the singles, the point is that marriage is not ultimate. A house with a, with a spouse, and I want to say it, a mouse, just to rhyme, but that makes no sense. I don't want mice in my house. I don't know why it came to me. And two children, it's just not ultimate. And he, let me tell you this, sexual fulfillment is not ultimate. Your culture, the, the world around you is going to tell you that, that you need to be fulfilled to be fully human, to be fully content. Not right. Because that is not what's ultimate. This is a season that might be a season of waiting, of longing, of putting off desires, but it is not a wasted season. God's purpose is to show you and the others around you and the people in this church that your satisfaction is ultimately in Jesus Christ. And it's with that eternal perspective that you singles can live in your freedom, in the power of the Spirit, in undivided devotion to the Lord. And so some of you singles, when you might argue and say, well, man, though, I'm busy, and I feel divided, and I feel distracted, and I have all these other things, and I get that. For one, just to, to think of one is you don't have a spouse, so to cultivate good intentional friendships takes time, and it takes effort. You're busy in different ways as a single. But I think this is where the Lord would call you to examine your life and consider the things that you're busy with. Are you busy with the things of the Lord? Verse 34, how to be holy in body and spirit. Are you busy with time in his word and serving his people and ministering to the lost and the poor and the needy? Are you stewarding your gifts in a season that has less distractions? Or are you creating too many unnecessary distractions? And singles, I challenge you, I challenge you all, as someone who is married, who can spend a lot of time talking about the good things of marriage and children, having good, helpful conversations, but can also be too focused on things like diapers and dentists and discipline and daddy dates and date nights. Here's my challenge, singles. Seize the season that you're in. And I want to say just lead the charge for us with zeal and with passion, with imagination and with initiative, because the Lord has declared that his divine plan is to get things done through this church, and that includes you. And so here's, here's my challenge. Go to, go to community group and put yourself in a community and speak up and let your voice and your perspective be heard. Do it with humility. And come here to this Sunday gathering expectant and, be, and ready for how the Lord's going to use you to build us up, to speak into others' lives, to give a word of encouragement to the whole congregation down here, to invest in the next generation uh, come here singing loudly and passionately and lead us in singing. There's a group that evangelizes on Monday night. Think about joining a group like that. 
Use your free time that you do have to babysit or to come along. Think about the older members of this church to come alongside to serve and to help them or the younger people, you know, people who are younger than you to go and mentor with them, build relationships with them. Go, think about one of these trips overseas, going and doing that or the local ministries that are already doing gospel work and go put yourself out there and go serve in that midst. And that's a whole list of different things. I just want to say, don't get overwhelmed but if the Lord's prompting you, pick one and step out in faith. Step out, look at your commitments and say, all right, I think I can do this. I can put this aside maybe and do this instead. As God leads you, as the Spirit empowers you, live focused on the purposes of God. And listen, as you do that, as you do that, the Lord might call you that to, to that your whole life. Or, as you're doing that, devoted to the Lord, he might put somebody in your path, the opposite gender, who's trying to do the same thing. Man, I'm just devoted to the Lord too. And you look over and go, oh, I think the Lord's now calling me to step out of this season and to step into the season of marriage with this other person so that now we can serve the Lord together and be fully devoted to him together. And I'll call you out of the season. But now when you're in the season, continue to use your gifts as so many of you are doing to build up this church, to show us what a life of undivided devotion to God looks like. Man, I, I love when singles show up on a Sunday morning when we pray early morning. I love when singles come here and make this a priority to gather here. Singles, I love when you come to corporate prayer. If, uh, uh, there were several here the other night praying together corporately. I love This happened to me recently. I love when a single knocks on your door and delivers you a meal when you are in need. Because they saw an email that said there was a meal train going around, and they said, yep, that's me. I want to go serve that family in need. Because they're part of this church, and I, I don't know how to cook food all that well, but I'm going to find a way, and I'm going to drop them off a meal. Man, I love that. Because this, this is a reality. And church, get ready, to, get, ready, get ready for an amen. I want the singles to hear this. Singles, you are an essential part of this body. Amen. So I want to conclude here by offering a few application points for us all to consider. If you're single, I just gave you a bunch of questions and things to think about. So did that already. But if you're a parent of a single, man, you have an assignment too. And you have a, a wonderful assignment. You, you have a season of life where authority maybe is getting a little bit less now as your kids are getting older. But influence is growing as they come to you and as they're facing different challenges in life. And so at first, I think you use that influence to teach them. To teach them the priority of their relationship with Jesus Christ, first and foremost, as their first love, above any other relationship they have or they might want. To teach them the priority of that, and the beauty of marriage and singleness, and to be thankful for their season. And teach them to say, if the Lord wills, about future decisions. And to pray for them, and to pray to pray with them. Teach them to use and cultivate their gifts and to walk alongside them, especially when they transition to adulthood or when they pursue a spouse. Draw them out, release them, but walk alongside them and draw them out. And also point them and release them and encourage them to serve. Sometimes I think Parents, we can create distractions of sports and hobbies and football games and dances and hangouts and trips out west and more work hours, earning more money that, that aren't bad, but when you put them all on a calendar, man, they just add up and it just starts looking like busyness. 
It starts looking like distraction. It starts looking like divided devotion. Teach them that this is a valuable point of their lives that they can spend for the Lord and to look at that calendar and all their commitments and say, man, this is all under the Lordship of Christ. How can I use this thing that I'm already doing to serve the Lord in it? Or where, where might the Lord call me to step back from this that I might be able to pursue this instead? And lead them into joining and committing this church if they haven't already. I think I can say this. Teens, young adults, you can get mad at me later if you want. Sometimes you have a problem committing to things. And so I think, parents, we can lead them into making a very important commitment, first to Jesus Christ as Savior, and then lead them, lead them into committing themselves to a body where the Lord is active. And if you're already serving in different ways, bring them alongside you in serving. And so let's land on this. The whole church... We're all listening in, right? The whole church. Look around on a Sunday morning. There's, there's singles in your midst. There's singles that came already in first service. Look around. In many ways, we're a family church. We love our families and our minivans and our children. And I love that as somebody with three kids, I love families. And I love that we love families and marriage and children. But here's what I would call us married folk to, myself, my wife, us as a church, specifically to invite singles into your home, to invite them over to your house, to open up your front door, to build relationships and have a meal with them. Don't feel like you've got to wait till they're in a relationship to invite them over, but you can invite one single over for one hour to have a meal, and that, that, that is a glorious thing, to have somebody over and build that relationship with them. And I want to say even, for if you want a specific action point, talk to your spouse this week. Watch your calendar. Talk together. Is there a single that we're called to minister to? Are there a group of singles? And let's look at our calendar and let's figure out when we can have that person over, when we can have those singles over or that single over. And then go pursue them. Some of you might, the Lord might say, adopt a single. I want you to invite them over and then next week I want you to do it again and then the next week or once a month have this rhythm where you're, you're pursuing specific singles in this church I think a good place to start is in your community group. If you've got singles in your community group, start there and start having that relationship and building that. And that could be a young adult. It could be a teen. It could be a, someone who's divorced. It could be a widow. Any different category who all need our love and our care. And we want to bring them things in, into things we're already doing, like dinner with our kids, with our mess, with our home, watching the Super Bowl, getting groceries together, taking hikes together, having a meal and church, when we gather, we gather together. Let's sit by the singles. Let's, let's draw them out. Let's initiate conversations with them. Just in talking to them, man, they've got burdens. They have burdens that we are called to bear. And that happens as we initiate conversations with them. They don't get, suddenly get interesting once they get engaged. But right now in their season, they long for fellowship and mentorship and for care, as they should, especially as they transition. They grew up in the church, and they transition into adulthood, and they go, oh, am I a member now? Am I an adult? What, am I, what is my status? I think we can just go, some of you do this really well. We can just go to them and say, hey, it's time for you to call me by my first name. That's okay. And welcome. Welcome. You're an adult now. I know I, know I remember what you looked like when you were this tall. Now you're an adult, and you're part of this body. And the Lord's going to use you to build this church. 
And we just want to treat them that way as adult members, to listen to their perspective and their experience, to pat them on the back when they're serving in children's ministry, our kids, or when they're serving in parent youth ministry, or back in the sound team, or wherever they might be serving. When they start coming to community group, encourage them and say, yeah, this is what you should be doing. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be different. You're in a different season, but come on in. This is where you should be. And I love those moments when we rejoice. We see somebody baptized, growing up in this church, baptized, and immediately we say, welcome. They, they become a member and we say, welcome. And we start treating them like adult members in this church with gifts that God's going to use to build up this church. Church, just in conclusion, let, let's hear the word of God for us in every situation. To live in undivided devotion to the Lord. Whatever, sing, single, married, whatever season, whatever budget and work and kids and school and dishes and other things you have going on, to submit it all to the Lordship of Christ. To remember that Jesus has given all for us, and so now in gratefulness we lay down our lives for Him. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time and your word. I pray that it would build up your people. Pray that it would lead us into a deeper fellowship with you as we apply the truth of it. Pray that you would encourage, that you would build our faith, the singles in our midst, that they would leave here feeling encouraged and led out and ready to serve you. I pray for us as a church that we would be ready to, to love everybody and to serve everybody, whether they're a hand or a foot or tongue or an ear, whatever they might be in this church that we might value them, that we might love them. Help us to do that, Lord. It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me.